Hello, and welcome to Fishy Business, a series dedicated to exploring the lesser-known side of cybersecurity. I'm Alice. And I'm Brian, and we're colleagues at Mimecast. Every episode, we're going to be joined by a special visitor, or in this case, visitors, who are definitely not your average guests. They're going to be sharing tales of risk, reward, and ridiculousness. We'll be looking for new ways to think about cybersecurity and to learn how we all can improve in the fight to stay safe. Welcome, everyone. We're doing things a little differently today as we're celebrating women in tech, but I've still allowed Brian to be on the podcast. Thanks, Alice. That's uh, very kind of you. (laughs) You're welcome. And this is an unusual situation because for once, women are in the majority today, whereas across the EU, only 18% of IT specialists are women. Then by the time you hit the boardroom, just 3% of tech CEOs are women. And it's a challenge that starts in education. Although worldwide there are more female graduates than men, only 30% of women in higher education move into STEM-related fields. That's science, technology, engineering and maths for all you acronym fans. And I think we can all agree it's time to change that. On this episode, we'll be welcoming a panel of women, but not just any women, they're women in tech. So we'll be talking about their careers, what it's like often being the only women in the room, and how to encourage more diversity in the cybersecurity industry in particular. So we're joined by Claire Johnson, Partnerships and Outreach Manager for Digital and STEM at the University of South Wales. And Claire is the founder of Women in Cyber Wales Cluster, encouraging young people into cyber and digital careers. And we're also very lucky to have Carissa Varma with us today, the Group Chief Information Security Officer at Old Mutual Limited. Carissa manages information security, business resilience, and the technology risk with dispersed teams across Africa, as well as being a passionate advocate for technology and security. Welcome, ladies. Hello, thank you for having us. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Thank you so much for being with us today. It sounds like you've both got incredibly exciting jobs, but why don't we start by simplifying things a little? Carissa, why don't you tell us how you would maybe explain to somebody your job at a dinner party or at a bar? So I think probably the first question I always get asked is, uh, am I a security guard? Which is probably the better known security (laughs) when you think about security. Um, But the way I explain my job is I build trust. Um, And I think that's the role of any CISO. Uh, We have customers out there that rely on our organizations, that rely on our people, and we need to be able to service them uh, with a high degree of, um, you know, success. Um, And so every CISO's job is really to build trust that our customers can rely on us when they need us uh, and we will keep their their investment safe. Um, And so in a nutshell, I think the role of security is trust. I love that description. I think that's fantastic. Thank you very much. And you, Claire, how would you explain what you do to the uninitiated? My role is around uh, developing pathways from school through to further education into higher education and jobs with a particular focus on digital and STEM subject areas. Um, I also run a Women in Cyber Wales network, and that sort of taps into one of my other passions, which is cybersecurity, um, as I was previously head of cybersecurity education at the university. And I guess this is a question for both of you, but how did you get into your current careers? You know, where did you start and how did you come into the industry? Uh, yeah, my my routine is is quite um, unusual, I, I think. I actually did a music degree at university, uh, but my passion as a child was working with computers. I was really lucky to have um, a very early home computer that my dad brought home one day um, and he let me play on it. So I got into computers that way, then followed my music passion into university. 
Um, and then um, the computing wouldn't ever leave me. So I ended up sort of being haunted by it really and ended up doing um, lots of training on the side. It was quite a good little money earner doing a bit of computer training um, and ultimately went into teaching at an FE college and then from there into higher education. And you, Carissa, how did you get into the industry? Well, I think I've also had a bit of a, a winding and interesting start. So um, <laughs> I got uh, some pretty good grades coming out of uh, high school. So the last year of, of primary in high school education in South Africa. And um, I, like everyone in my community, when you get good grades, you either go into medicine, uh, become an accountant or, uh, you know, become a lawyer. And that was sort of the, the stance. You've got good grades. This is what you do. There wasn't even a choice in it. And so I broke the mold a little bit going into tech technology. Uh, I got a degree. Um, I got a bursary to study in Malaysia for four years. So I went over, wow. uh, over to Malaysia, didn't speak the language, you know, didn't know the food, uh, didn't understand what anyone was saying to me. Um, but they did do a specialist degree in technology, which we didn't have in South Africa at that point in time. So I did four years there, an honors degree. Um, and I came out of it a software engineer. So I specialized in software engineering. And when I came back to South Africa, the company that had given us the bursary, um, we were on a panel interview to decide where in technology we got placed within the company and I begged and pleaded to be within the development team uh, and no one would listen to me. Everyone said, well, you're going into security. Um, and so it was like this uh, forced shove into security, but it's been an absolutely amazing pivot in my in, in, in getting me into security. And it's been something I've never looked back from, spent my entire career in security and I couldn't have imagined it any other way. Wow. So your path started right at the beginning then. A lot of people sort of fall into security later on in their careers, but after your education, you sort of dived straight in. That's amazing. Yeah, exactly. And Carissa, we mentioned earlier that 3% of CEOs in tech are women currently. You know, being part of the C-suite, how has the landscape evolved in your opinion since you started your career? Would you say we're maybe moving in the right direction, slowly but surely? I think we are, Alice. Um, if I look at my team specifically, um, I have about 40% of my team that are women. Um, it's still not the 50-50 ratio we're looking for, um, but I think we've made some great strides. And I think we've got some really powerful, really experienced, really brilliant women on my team that I'm really grateful to work with every day. And so that dynamic is changing. I still find that there is a bit of a, a, you know, when you get to the CISO level, there is quite a shift between male and female. I'm the only female CISO in financial services from a group level, from a large corporate in, in South Africa at the moment. So it is typically a boys club in a lot of the, the forums <laughs> and things like that. So we do need to switch that dynamic up. But I see a lot of the grassroots change happening and I see that middle change happening. We just have to get it all the way through. And the technical roles seem to be the area that we also struggle in quite a bit. Uh, we still have an issue where we need to encourage more women into that deeply technical roles. And Carissa, cybersecurity is quite an interesting field because there's a, a deeply technical aspect to it, but there's also a very psychological aspect to it. There's kind of bits of, of all kinds of things in there. Do you think the diversity you get from having as close to sort of gender equity as you can get helps in cybersecurity? Um, you know, what other aspects would be would be interesting in that space to kind of assist with with protecting organizations like Old Mutual? Absolutely. I think it's so important. I, I strongly believe that diversity leads to better decision making because we consider more options. Um, I think if we have just one voice in the room, you're only going to consider one option. So, um, you know, having more people in the room, more opinions in the room gives you a more well-grounded decision because you've considered more options. Um, and what's really interesting is because cybersecurity is so diverse, I've got people from all walks and backgrounds in my team. I've got, you know, ex-military, I've got marketing 
auditing, I've got uh, ex-banking, and then I've got the hardcore technical gurus. So, you know, we've got really diverse people, both from a career perspective, as well as gender and race that really, you know, makes decision making a lot richer. And they bring in perspectives that you just wouldn't have if you have a very uh, sort of mono, um, you know, uh, uniform type of team. And Claire, have you also managed to um, get the kind of number of, of women in your teams up in the same way that Carissa has? Do you find that a challenge? Do, do you find there's a huge benefit in getting diversity in your team? Sorry, that's a whole compound question there, but hopefully you can um, unpack some of that. Um, certainly, you know, my experience of, of working with cybersecurity teams in various organisations is that women definitely are underrepresented. And uh, Chris is, is absolutely right. It's that diversity of thought that you really need to have in those teams. If you've just got one type of person in a room, then you're only going to get one type of view back. And that can limit the um, ability of a team to work effectively. So why do you feel, and maybe Carissa, this is, I'll, I'll um, pose this question to you first. Why do you feel that women are outnumbered as a general rule? I mean, we know that there's a shortage of skills in cybersecurity in general, and then there's a shortage of uh, female candidates in cybersecurity. Why do you think that is? So I think there's two major reasons that are still holding us back. Um, I think the first one is, I don't believe women put themselves out there enough. Um, and I don't think they believe in themselves, um, you know, enough to go, I'm going to do this irrespective of how hard it's going to be. Um, and that is something we really need to get past because right now, like you're saying, I mean, there's such a shortage of cybersecurity skills in the market. You know, there's so much of opportunity out there, but I still feel like there's this huge fear that we have to put our hands up and to say, I'm willing to do this. And so for me, that's sort of a personal ask to everyone out there, um, you know, that's listening to, to both from a female perspective, yourself out there and then from a male perspective to actually encourage the woman that you have around you to do that. Um, and then I, I think the second component to that would be um, that I think there is still a cultural dynamic. And I know I'm speaking from an African perspective. Um, I see this in pockets. It's not as pervasive as it used to be, but I think there is still a cultural dynamic where um, in certain communities, we believe the role of a woman to be something um, and technology is not it. Um, so that is, you know, I had a conversation with a young uh, girl who was in uh, a conference who got a ticket to come into a conference to be around other cyber women. And we were sitting next to each other at lunch and we were having a conversation and she said she so much wants to be in cybersecurity. And I said, oh, that's great. You know, it's exactly what I want to hear. And she was, um, and I said, do you believe you can do it? And she said, yes. And I said, so what do your teachers say? And she says, the teachers say I can do it. And I was like, this is all great news to me. And then she, she her face drops. And when her face drops, I ask her, so why? Why are you looking at when she says, well, when I go home, my neighbors and my family tell me I have one role in life. And so that dichotomy for her was quite difficult. And that struggle still exists. Uh, it exists in pockets, uh, but I think we underestimate the impact it has. And Carissa, I think you made two really good points there and, and two things that have really struck a chord with me. I think in the past, um, I was listening to a British radio program and they mentioned that the first, um, you know, human computers, if we can call it that, were, you know, traditionally, say, for example, women, um, often black women in America who worked in the war effort, you know, made a huge contribution to that. So it makes me think of, you know, also that cultural um, diversity sense around it. And then from your first point that you mentioned around women kind of leaning in and saying, you know, I do believe in myself that I have the, you know, the confidence to do this. And it reminds me of uh, Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In book, uh, where she talks about, you know, 
men may believe they are potentially 60% ready for a role and they will go for it anyway. Whereas women often have to feel 100% ready for a role until they go for it. But also women have to recognise that to say, okay, I am going to lean in and, and put myself forward and bring myself to the table. So it's it's definitely having that awareness. So I think you raised fantastic points in, in both of those and, and very, very valuable. Claire, I guess from your perspective, you know, what tips would you have for women wanting to get into the cybersecurity space or careers in tech in general? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really important what Chris has just said about, um, you know, people being confident enough to apply for jobs. Uh, I saw a job a couple of years ago, a, a recruitment consultant sent it to me and asked me to circulate it. Um, and it, it was like this massive long list of skills and abilities, somebody to be a, available 24-7, to do malware analysis, to do work with the, the um, C-suite, to do comms. It was just a crazy list of job uh, requisites. Um, and I went back to him and I said, you won't get anybody apply for that job. And you certainly won't get any women apply for that job. <laughs> and if you do, I'd love to meet them because anybody who says that they've got all those skills must be lying. Um, and I think, you know, getting that across to recruiters um, is really, really important that, you know, they need to pitch the job application in a way that it's going to be attractive for women to apply for it. Um, and in terms of women sort of getting into the industry, you know, I think one of the one of the main things is just go for it go for it, but also get yourself a really good mentor. And that doesn't have to be somebody who's necessarily in the industry. It needs to be somebody supportive who can say, you are capable of this. Go away and do some work on this area. Get these technical skills if you want them, but you can do it. And it's having that backup when you're, when your confidence is knocked to have somebody saying to you, go for it, do it, you're capable. Something that works, and there's all kinds of things one can do, but is is when we're talking to our talent acquisition people in our organization, what I give them is almost something like a rubric. So I give them the job specification, and then I give them the nice-to-haves, the kind of levels that I expect for each one of those things, because I think we're notorious in cybersecurity for saying that people have got to be massively qualified, they've got to have tertiary education, they've got to have five years' experience, uh, you know, and then it turns out to be an entry level job. That's always the criticism. But what other kinds of things, you know, would you suggest that we do when we're looking at hiring talent and getting talent into our organizations? It's not just a question of getting the job spec right, is it? Yeah. So I think for me, what I always look for is, um, you know, I can build skill. Um, you can teach someone um, how to, uh, you know, do something technical, but you can't teach character and you can't teach conviction and you can't teach, um, you know, personality. And so that's really what I look for when I interview. And I think it's something that we need to focus on more as uh, cyber leaders. Um, there's not enough of us in cybersecurity. So if we continue to look for, you know, this deep, hardcore pen tester, there just isn't enough of them out there. Uh, but if we look for aptitude and the ability to learn and the ability to be inquisitive and the ability to solve problems and the ability to tackle challenges, instead of that hardcore technical skill that we, we, we put on our, our, our job specs, then the market opens up. Then there's so much of opportunity out there. And then, yes, you may need to invest in training and upskilling, but you're not fighting with other companies for such a limited pool of resources that they just end up rotating between you and you're not actually solving the problem you know, overall. So I think my challenge and uh, to the industry at large is how do we actually pull ourselves out of this rut where we keep looking for these skills, but rather start looking for an aptitude, for an ability, and then to train that ability to be able to achieve what we want to, because we'll get a ton more people into cyber that way. 
And I think, again, that's that's a great point. I know in our, our support team, for example, we have three young ladies that we've hired into um, our technical support team who come from a forensic sciences background. Um, and the skill sets that they bring with them have been absolutely phenomenal. The way that they analyse things and look into different problems and interpret those problems and find solutions, you know. And as you say, you can teach the technical ability, but it, it's the way your mind kind of processes these things. And I guess, Claire, maybe a, a question for you around, you know, the STEM subjects that you're involved in. Have you found that um, maybe there's been a, a gradual increase of women getting involved in, in STEM projects? Have we maybe reached a plateau? What's the trend you've seen moving into that space? It's definitely getting better. I think, um, you know, we, we're doing a lot of work around sort of demystifying some of the careers. So we go into schools and we do, um, you know, some of the more fun activities that are involved in cybersecurity and other STEM subjects. Um, you know, there's this sort of myth that that cybersecurity is sitting in front of a computer with a with a dark room behind you. Um, and that's just not the case. You know, it's it's a much more entertaining and you know, for me, it's a really fascinating career. There's so many different facets to it. So I think, you know, working with young people and, and trying to get this across to them that actually, you know, there are so many options There there are all the sort of the policy stuff, the legal side of things, but then there are the sort of deep um, technical areas as well. Um, and giving them to them in a way that is relatable is really important. And hopefully then as, as that sort of develops through their their education, they'll become more aware of what the opportunities are. Actually, we also see, you know, there's a lot of talent coming through from um, the humanities and the arts as well. And people sort of with linguistic skills can make really good programmers. Uh, So, you know, those areas are things we're trying to tap into and saying, just because you're interested in that doesn't mean that you couldn't do a job in cybersecurity. So, Claire, it would be fascinating to understand some of the, you know, extra projects that you're getting involved in, some of the causes that you've been working with. Would you mind giving us a bit more detail on those? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've already said we love working with young young people. Um, one of the projects we've done is is with Girl Guides. Um, we cool. put together. Yeah, it's, it's been a brilliant project. Um, <laughs> I was approached by a, a Girl Guide leader in the area who said, you know, we'd like to put together a, a ballot, a badge um, around cybersecurity. And I thought, oh, what a brilliant idea! Yeah, that's so, a great idea. Uh, it, it, it was amazing. Um, I put together a sort of series of activities and then we actually hosted a day on campus where we had a hundred brownies in, um, aged from five up to 16, doing cybersecurity challenges. And it was amazing, you know, and, and what was really sort of heartwarming was at the end of the day I mean they you know we had the comments like wow I really want to go to university because the toilets are amazing you're like hang on hang on a minute (laughs) that's not what the day was about but actually we also had lots of kids go away saying I know how to do a really strong password and you could hear them telling their parents about how to check their own passwords hadn't been broached um, as they walked away you know and, and, and that's amazing and those are the sorts of things that I think can have a real impact because you're getting to people in a fun way, in an engaging way, and they take that away with them and think, I could do that for a living. Um, Carissa, maybe let's also just move on to the role of the CISO. Um, someone said something yesterday which really struck, struck a chord with me. When Mimecast started in 2003, the most complex game that you could play on a cell phone was Snake on a Nokia 6110. Um <laughs> And that was kind of the cybersecurity world that, that we were dealing with back in those days. Um, the CISO role has evolved along with the, the evolution of the threat landscape. Um, 
How would you say the role now sits in terms of reporting structure, the kinds of frameworks that are needed compared to, say, in the, the early 2000s? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think that um, almost every organization out there is embracing technology. I mean, whether you're a farmer, uh, you know, a grocery shop, I mean, what COVID taught us is that everything can be done digitally. Um, and so we've got this massive boom and expansion of technology and with that comes risk. Um, and so I think there's never been a more pivotal time in our history for um, for CISO. Um, and it's really critical that organizations out there um, have people that are not just um, sitting on the sideline willing to um, influence, but are part of the journey of where the organization is going. And that is where you really see success, um, is when security is really built into the fabric of what you're delivering and not as an afterthought. And it's something we've said for years, you know, build it in, not as an afterthought. But the CISO role pivotably has to be integrated into the organization. Otherwise, you will never be able to, to affect the change that you need to. Um, the other thing that I think is really critically important is no security team or no CISO can do the job on their own. The job is just too big. Um, and so in my mind, uh, what I believe and what I'm trying to do is not just have a security team of 100 people, but to have a security team of 30,000 people where every single person in the organization is actually, you know, building towards that that goal of, of security and um, has a very deep consciousness of that. Um, and wh whichever level you are in the organization, I mean, a very fortunate space where our organization and our board take security very seriously, um, but it's not just at the top. It actually has to filter all the way down and all the way up. Um, and so in my mind, definitely, you know, the most critical time for security um, I've ever seen um, and it's, it's at a pivoting point. I think it's, it's what we make of it now um, and how we, we shape the future. And Carissa, being the um, only, say, female CISO in, in your sector, how do you tend to, to navigate that landscape? Do you find that, um, you know, there are challenges, hurdles that maybe were unexpected there or maybe things that have been made easier um, because, you know, the voice is slightly different? So um, I get asked this question often, um, and there's two points I'll make. I've never felt like when I say something, uh, people don't listen to what I'm saying or uh, don't believe what I'm saying because I'm, I'm female and I'm in a group of males. But what I have felt is that there is a lack of consciousness that there are females in the room. And I'll give you a very practical example. So um, I was at a, a seminar uh, end of last year. Where it was actually a, a virtual gala dinner. And I was allowed to pick absolutely everything. I could pick my menu uh, if I had dietary requirements. I could pick my drink uh, if I had, you know, specific things that I didn't drink. Um, I, I could literally pick everything. Um, and when the box arrived on the night, uh, because it was a black tie event, the gift was a bow tie. Which I have zero use for. Um, so we've gotten to a point where we've sensitized ourselves about race. We've sensitized ourselves about culture, but I still feel like there's a gap where we we're not consciously asking the question about, you know, are we being sensitive about gender? Um, and and I think that example was so pivotal. And then afterwards, I just I did say to the organizer, you know, I can't use a bow tie. Thanks for everything else. It was really great. But uh, maybe in future, consider consider a more general gender neutral gift. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Claire, have you found the same in in your area as well? Kind of similar examples that you've had. Yeah, definitely. I mean. You know, also, I, I would say that I've, I've always felt very respected in meetings and people always, you know, 
listen to, to what I'm going to say. Um, but those subtle things are the things that can make a difference. Um, you know, if you go to a, an InfoSec conference, the t-shirts are always way too big for me. I'm only small anyway. Um, <laughs> but, you know, men's t-shirts, they turn into nightwear for me. So I've got a lot of nightwear. I think it is, It often it's not deliberate. It is just, it's that unconscious bias thing, isn't it? You know, where where you just, unless you've been made aware of it, you wouldn't necessarily think about it. And, and, and Alice, I just want to add on to what Claire's saying, because I think it's such a valid point about that unconscious bias. Um, we've got uh, operations in 13 African markets, so we've, we've got quite a big footprint across Africa. And I traveled into Africa a few years ago for the first time, and I traveled with a male colleague. And every time I asked a question to the CEO, he would turn to the male colleague and he would respond. Um, and it happened over and over and it, it started to really irritate me. And so after the session, I pulled him inside and I said, do you know you've been doing this the entire session that every time I ask you a question, you turn to my male colleague and you answer him. And he said to me, oh my goodness, Chris, I didn't realize I've been doing that. Um, and it was, wow. you could see the light bulb. It was like an aha moment for him. He actually didn't know he was doing that. And then we had lunch together and he said, you know what? I've been thinking about what you said. And actually in my culture, uh, we don't speak directly to women that uh, are not within our family. And so I think oh, that wow. is what has led to that. And, but I was perceiving it as uh, him, you know, disrespecting me in his mind. He was perceiving it as respect. And neither of us could, you know, if we didn't have that conversation uh, and my appeal to women out there is when you have that sense of discomfort, talk about it, tell somebody, tell the person that's making you feel uncomfortable, that you're feeling uncomfortable because you don't know wh what space that person is in, in making the statements that they're making. And just the conversation can help unblock things. Um, and it's just, it's been hugely powerful for me. Thank you very much to you both for, for joining us today. Um, I know we're looking to um, wrap up with a few final questions, if that's okay for you guys. We tend to ask these questions to everybody who joins us on our podcast. Um, I wish we could carry on the discussion all day. It's been fascinating hearing your your thoughts and experiences and, and definitely a very um, big topic close to my heart as well. So thank you so, so much for sharing those with us. Um, so I guess, Claire, we'll start off with you. Looking back over your career, what's the one insight that you wish you'd learned sooner or that you could go back and tell your younger self? It would probably be to have more faith in myself. Um, I think, you know, I, I did, I do overthink things. I've already said that. I, I tend to be very self-critical. Um, and yet deep down, I know what's right and what's wrong. And I wish I'd trusted myself a little bit more. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people would probably say say the same things or empathise to say, yeah, I feel the same. So yeah, thank you very much. And Carissa, what about you? Uh, so I think my answer is pretty similar to Claire's. Uh, the only thing I would <laughs> add is uh, probably trust my instinct a lot more. Um, I think there's that gut feeling that we all have that we sometimes push down, uh, but that gut feeling tends to be right a lot of the time. So, so listen to that gut feeling and, and trust it a lot more. And Claire, what are you reading or listening to at the moment? Is there anything you'd recommend uh, for our listeners? Yeah, there's a couple of things. I'm, I'm actually reading a book uh, called Wild at the moment by Cheryl Strayed, which is about a woman who embarks on a three-month solo uh, walk across the Pacific Coast Trail. Um, so it's about a voyage of self-discovery, really, um, which is really good. Um, but one of my favourite books uh, that I've read um, last year um, is called You Are a Badass. Uh, by Jan Sincero. Um, and it's a really, really good book for women who ever doubt their own ability because it's got loads of hints and tips in it. But it's a fun look at, you know, why we're not always as confident as we should be and how we should be better at it. 
So that's a book I'd really recommend. Um, and if I may, a, a television series that I watched recently called The Queen's Gambit, which is about a girl who gets into chess. And she is the best badass ever. So if you ever <laughs> need any inspiration, that's the one to watch. Sounds amazing. Yes, I enjoyed that uh, particular series. And Carissa, what are you reading or listening to at the moment? And, and what would you recommend for our listeners? So I, I also love The Queen's Gambit, uh, Claire. I think it was a phenomenal story about uh, how powerful a woman can be against all odds. Um, chase, not technology, but I think the same concept. Um, and I'm currently reading a book called Crime.com. Um, it's by Jeff White. Uh, I'm, I'm getting into it quite a bit and I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite excited by it. Uh, so it looks like a suspenseful book. Uh, but something I would really recommend, if you haven't seen a video by Dahlia Feldheim, it's called Lead Like a Girl. So if you can go onto YouTube uh, and just Google Lead Like a Girl, um, the lady's name is Dahlia Feldheim. And she basically talks about what it's like to lead like a girl. There's a concept that, you know, when you run like a girl, you're weak and you cry like a girl, you're weak. And, and that connotation has sort of, you know, lived through the times. But she talks about how powerful leading like a girl can be and why she believes it is powerful. And I would really encourage anyone, uh, you know, to watch it because I think it's, 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 it's a hugely transformative video. That's fantastic. I've definitely made a note of that one. Thank you very much. And looking a little bit more into the future, we always like to have a bit of a past, present and future concept. This time next year, let's say, Carissa, from your perspective, where do you think we'll be with cybersecurity in general? And, and what do you see as being the big issues for CISOs in the next 12 months? Yeah, I think we've just started to see the start of what's going to become a really interesting but really scary journey with regards to supply chain uh, attacks. And the second one is I think the skills uh, the skills agenda is really going to come to a head. I mean, I think the gap is is growing faster than we're filling it. Um, and so we need to we need to fundamentally do something different uh, to be able to change that. Um, and I just want to quickly talk about uh, two things that I'm personally trying to do to be able to change that skills gap. Um, so I've just recently launched uh, what we're calling hacking into cybersecurity. Uh, it's on LinkedIn and I've partnered with a few CISO around the world to be able to do that. Um, and what we're doing is we're encouraging people that have either lost their jobs or um, have um, have basically, um, you know, been displaced to get into cybersecurity. So no matter what field they're from or where they come from, what their background, their career history or their education, we're encouraging them to port those skills into cybersecurity. And we really want to make it very practical on how you do that. So we're putting together stories and examples and experience, some skills maps as to how you can actually port um, skills from other careers into cybersecurity. Um, so if anyone's interested in looking at that, they can have a look on LinkedIn. It's called Hacking into Cybersecurity. And the other thing is, um, Claire, did you say that you're part of uh, Women in Cybersecurity? Because we're just launching the Southern African chapter of Women in Cybersecurity. Uh, we're the second chapter in on the African continent. There's an East Africa chapter and we're the second one. Um, so it's also an organization that I, that I strongly believe in. If you want to go and check out uh, Women in Cybersecurity, the acronym is WI. CYS and they've got affiliates all over the world um, and we're just launching the one in, in Southern Africa. So that's sort of the two things that I want to do this year to try and bridge that skills gap. That's amazing. And then Claire, what do you think is on the horizon for STEM education? I don't know. And that's I think that's what makes it so exciting because there are so many areas that are developing really rapidly. 
Um, you know, obviously AI is going to become a really big thing. It's already sort of taking off. Things like deep fakes fascinate me. Um, but I suspect that much as we've sort of heard about fake news over the last few years, we'll start to see more about deep fakes and these fake videos of people talking who haven't been made by the people themselves. Um, so I think that's an area that will become increasingly um, in the limelight, if you like. Um, and agreeing with Carissa really around the skills side, you know, there's going to be lots of developments. I'm sure that the movements that we're seeing around women in cyber will just go from strength to strength. And hopefully that will start to reflect in the workforce as well. So lots of excitement. I mean, it's one of the reasons I love being in tech is just because it moves so quickly that it's never a dull day, you know. Absolutely. And thank you so much to you both for joining us today. Hearing about your thoughts, opinions, experiences has been absolutely wonderful. And as I say, definitely a, a topic very close to my heart. So thank you very, very much to you both for joining us. And thank you also so much to all of our listeners for joining us on this week's Fishy Business today. It's been a pleasure to have you with us. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review for us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're hearing this. And feel free to follow us on our Twitter page at Mimecast if you'd like to learn more about what we've discussed today. Thanks, everyone.